A reading from 1 Kings, chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. The words the Lord came to Elijah, Get up and go to Zarephath near Sidon and stay there. I have ordered a widow to take care of you. Elijah left and went to Zarephath. As he came to the town gate, he saw a widow collecting sticks. He called out to her, Please get a little water for me in this cup so I can drink. She went to get some water. He then said to her, Please get me a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any food, only a handful of flour in a jar and a bit of oil in a bottle. Look at me. I'm collecting two sticks so that I can make some food for myself and my son. We'll eat the last of the food and then die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go and do what you said. Only make a little loaf of bread for me first. Then bring it to me. You can make something for yourself and your son after that. This is what Israel's God, the Lord, says. The jar of flour won't decrease, and the bottle of oil won't run out until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. The widow went and did what Elijah said. So the widow, Elijah, and the widow's household ate for many days. The jar of flour didn't decrease, nor did the bottle of oil run out just as the Lord spoke through Elijah. The word of God for us. Friends, we have heard God's word read as we prepare to also hear God's word proclaimed and find ourselves in this story, God's salvation story. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations in each of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I wanted to share a little context to our story today from 1 Kings. This story takes place during one of the mighty prophets of Israel, the prophet Elijah, who lived in the 9th century BCE. And this was during the time that the kingdom of Israel was a divided kingdom between the kingdom of Israel and Samaria in the north, known as the northern kingdom, and the southern kingdom of Judah. And the Bible tells us in Kings that all the kings of Israel in the north were wicked. And at this time of Elijah, King Ahab is on the throne, and we're told he is the most wicked of all. And to add to his own wickedness, he marries Jezebel, a woman from a region north of the kingdom, in a region where the people worshipped the god Baal. This is not the one true God of Israel, but a false God. The God they believed was a God of rain and storm. So now you have a little bit of the scene, and now God tells the prophet Elijah to go and tell King Ahab that there will not be any rain or any dew on the land until God 
speaks through Elijah and says so. So imagine speaking this to a a narcissistic king who worships a god of rain. Elijah has a lot to fear to claim that there's going to be no rain. So he's really disrespecting this Baal god. So the next, next verses we find that Elijah runs for his life. And God leads him far to the east on a long journey east of the Jordan River to, to settle down near a brook where God promises in that region-wide drought that he will send, God will send ravens to feed Elijah in the morning and in the evening and that the brook will be his water. And all of this happens and Elijah stays there until the brook runs dry, which it eventually does. And then God said, get up and go. Go to a widow in Zarephath, and she will provide for you. So this Zarephath place is far away back to the west, right on the coast of the Mediterranean, a long journey. And this is where our story picks up. So let's consider the context of the widow Many of us know or might remember that in that day, a widow is the most marginalized, most vulnerable person you could likely be in that time. In a patriarchal world where women were dependent upon men for protection, upon their husbands, for provision in their household, for everything. So not only is this woman destitute and marginalized, she is living in a drought. And she's trying to care for her son. And this is where we find her today. She gets up that morning with a plan. She has very little choice. She leaves her house to go find some sticks, to build a tiny fire, to cook the meager little bit of food she has left to feed her son and herself one last meal before starvation takes their lives. She had a plan. I want to pause to think about how many of us wake up each day with a plan. In these days where we have our calendars either in our ear or in our pocket, I know for me I'm always checking it because it's so full, I don't want to miss anything, and I still miss things. We have plans for our day, for work, for family, for friends, for hopefully a nap perhaps, or we might have plans for leisure if we're we're done with work or school. But sometimes those plans don't get to happen because of the unexpected And this widow was, her plans were interrupted by an unexpected visitor. There she was with a couple of sticks in her hand, and the prophet Elijah arrives at the gate of the city. And he sees this woman whom God told him to look out for. And he calls to her, woman, please get me a little water to drink. And she turns to do so. And as she does, Elijah says, and add some food too, please. Well, then she stopped and turned around. And holding up her two sticks, she said, Sir, I have no food to prepare for you. I have hardly any flour or oil left in my house, not even for a full loaf of bread. I was planning to prepare it for my son and myself for one last meal before the drought claims our lives. Elijah is undeterred. And he exclaims, Don't be afraid. 
Go and do what you plan, but first make me some bread and bring it. And then make some for you and your son. And you'll see what the one true God can do. Your flour won't run out. Your oil won't run dry until God sends more rain. Elijah ends up staying with this woman and her son for many days. They broke bread together every day until the drought ended. They become unlikely, unexpected companions for this difficult journey of waiting on God for sustenance. And God's promise of sustenance came, and the rain came. The widow of Zarephath woke up with a plan for her day, like the food left in her house. Her choices were so little, and death appeared to be the sure outcome. But she was surprised. Routinely, when I prepare for a sermon, knowing that a sermon is a conversation with God and all of us together as the body of Christ, I usually share the scripture with a handful of people who like to talk about it and chew on it. And this time was no different. So I emailed out the scripture to a few folks, um, looking forward to seeing what they were getting as we try to listen to the message God might have for all of us here. And one of those people I send it to, his name's Susan. I'm going to keep the names of this story anonymous for the sake of ease. It was Memorial Day, and Susan woke up to her holiday with a plan, which included a tea time on the golf course and some other things you might do on a day off. And as she woke up that day, she checked her email, and she found an email that had come to her in the night from her dear and old friend, Rose. Now, Susan and Rose had been in contact because Rose's mom was in the, in the actively dying stage of her life. She was elderly and very sick. And Rose's mom's one wish that she pleaded for was that she could die at home. And Rose forsake almost everything in her own life to try to grant her mother's wishes. And she went to her mom's house day in and day out to care for her as her sole provider, sole caretaker. Any given day, Rose wondered what she should do. She knew she needed help. She's not good at asking. Should she call hospice? But she wanted to honor her mom's wishes as she watched her mom uh, deteriorate in her health. Well, Rose finally got in over her head she realized that she was going under. She had little energy left, and she had no idea what to do next. So she finally, in desperation, reached out for help. This email to her friend Susan was her plea for help. For Susan, who is a physician, could she please come over? So Susan considered this email, wanting so glad Rose finally reached out. Wondering, should she go right away? Should she call first? Should she wait till she thinks Rose is up? And she got the holy nudge to just get up and go. So she prepared to go. She canceled her tea time. And she's driving to Rose's house. And the sense of urgency started to increase. And she's driving. She approached the railroad tracks near her home. And then she saw the red lights begin to flash and the railroad crossing arms come down. 
and she was trapped. The train finally came, and it went on and on and on, and Susan's sense of urgency kept growing. But she finally realized there's nothing she could do, so she settled in and decided to check her email to see if Rose had contacted her again. And there was no message from Rose, but there was a message from me with the scripture that we just heard today. So Susan decided to read the scripture, and she did. And as she was reading, finally the train ended, and she was able to continue on her journey. She arrived at Rose's house with the passage fresh in her mind about God's abundance in the midst of meagerness, of scarcity. Susan took a deep breath as she opened the door to Rose's house. She assured Rose that calling hospice was the next best thing to do as she saw the state that Rose was in so depleted herself. So they organized together to organize the transportation for Rose's mom and to wait for hospice to come. And by now, with all those details, it's mid-afternoon. Susan left the house without breakfast and had nothing to eat. She was famished. And she knew Rose needed to eat too, even though Rose wasn't thinking about food. But Susan could not think she was so hungry, so she asked Rose if she had anything to eat. And Rose offered her a bottle of Coke, and admittedly not a cook, Rose said, I did make a casserole yesterday. So Rose offered Susan a Coke and this very humble, simple casserole. And together they sat there as unexpected companions for their memorial day. And they shared a Coke and a casserole as the the mother lay nearby. The meager meal curbed the intense hunger and the utter depletion of Rose. And as they ate, Susan thought of the widow of Zarephath with her meager flour and oil and the unexpected visitor in Elijah. The combination of fear and doubt that that widow had as she set out on her plan for the day. Doubt that she would and her son might live much longer, but faith that she had one more meal. She picked up two sticks and kept going. And she heard Elijah's promise that there would be enough. And not only that, it would not run out. Susan is pondering this as hospice arrives. They transport Rose's mom and Rose and Susan follow them to this facility. And as they approach this amazing hospice facility, Susan is struck by the abundance, the stark contrast between the the experience and the scene in Rose and her mother's home of a meager meal and depletion and a mother who's dying with no resources around to help to now this state-of-the-art facility with state-of-the-art medical care and staff all around to comfort and care for this woman in her last days. Nothing meager about that at all. As God supplied the widow and Elijah, God is supplying Rose, her mother, and Susan in her own fear and faith and doubt. I have a visual illustration. Thank you, Heidi. I've had these two sticks in my house for a whole year. 
And one represents faith, and one represents doubt. And like many of us, I'm sure, many around the world, during this pandemic, I was struggling. I was confused. Any plans that we had that any of us woke up to, who knew if we could do them at all? And I needed help. So I went to see my spiritual director. We met outside, and at some point she had me take a walk around the large grounds that we met on, big, huge trees and, and grass and squirrels and birds. And she had me look around until I felt called to pick up whatever I felt called to pick up. And when I saw these two sticks close to each other, I thought of this story of the widow Zarephath, which is a very important story for me on my faith journey. And I went back and sat down and I, I told my director that this is doubt and this is faith. And she knows how much doubt I wrestle with in my life on any given day. Doubt about capabilities, about the future, you name it, as a human. And she said, Jana, your doubt is faithful. Your doubt is faithful. And I, it took me a moment, but I got it. And I got so much comfort out of that. Because what I understood is that I am wired for doubt. And also, as a follower of Christ, a daughter of God, my faith comes with the necessary component of doubt. Doubt keeps me questioning and seeking after God, even chasing after God, wondering where are you, what are you doing, or when will you do it? It keeps my faith alive. And because I know doubt is faithful, when, when, when a certain kind of doubt wants me to go to fear, or catastrophizing, or focusing on what's meager or scarce, I know better than to trust it. Because our God is not a God of meagerness, or scarcity, or fear. So my faithful doubt tells me to run to my stick of faith, which points me back to God. I've had these in a planter in my living room for a year. At the time the plant was flourishing, it has been long dead, because I'm not good at that. But that only allowed me to see my doubt and faith sticks even more pronounced every day. It's a gift to share them with you today, to remind me and hopefully you that they go together as unlikely companions on our human journey, our faith journey. They are faithful. Now, all these words I've given you, I want to pause now with you and invite you into a space to pause and close your eyes if you wish and just imagine the stories that you have heard here today, these parallel stories of the scripture of Susan and Rose. Imagine the unexpected companionship going on in each. Imagine the plans that got interrupted. When have your plans been interrupted and at first you despaired or maybe were annoyed. But perhaps it led to something beautiful, miraculous, new. When did changed plans lead you to an unexpected, unlikely companion? Someone with whom normally you might not ever mix out in your world, 
But there they are. There you are sharing in something of your lives together. Did that serve to change your perspective? Did it open you up to something new? Did it help you see God in a new way? Think of our powerless widow. In her utter powerlessness, she had more power than perhaps Elijah due to her lack with no distraction, no choice but to step out with her doubt and her faith. She picked up those two sticks and went to do the thing she did best, to love on her son, on her household. And through the surprise of Elijah, she gained a new companion. She gained hope in the midst of despair. And she and her son did not perish. Father Richard Rohr reminds us that the literal meaning of the word companion is one who eats bread with us. One who eats bread with us. The widow and Elijah ate bread together. Companions. Susan and Rose drank a Coke and ate a casserole together unexpected companions. And you and I, the body of Christ, together we will join in this feast as companions, breaking bread, eating bread together. As we remember the one for whom we remember we have this meal in honor of Jesus, in memory of his life, Jesus who was born in Bethlehem, literally the house of bread. Jesus, who called himself the breath, the, the, the bread of life, who serves as our sustenance in this meal. We are companions with one another. Some of us might never mix outside of church, but here we are bound together with our doubt, with our faith, breaking bread. And what a joy, what a privilege. Let us give thanks for the abundance that God brings into our meagerness and everything unlikely and unexpected that leads to our growing in faith, hope, and love. Thanks be to God. Amen.